0: For the final session today, Gold standard University, the professor is going to combine the lectures of the gold bond and uh, the, I mean the gold bond and the lessons of bimetallism. Uh, he hasn't told me whether he's going to talk twice as fast or be more concise.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Going back to the last while. The previous lecture, I uh, first mentioned the symmetry, the impressive symmetry between these two stories. But it doesn't go all the way. And it turns out that this is a more complicated story and they are more There's more resistance and there's more objection and so on. Uh, There were three steps. I mentioned this was a very big step when people started ranking commodities by portability in the small, recognition that we have to find the most portable commodity. In order to facilitate survival and greater happiness for the world. This is a very, very big step. But only one step. And then we saw the obstruction that hoarding and scoring is a time consuming process. Whereas in most cases, you would like to have a conversion telescope into a short period. So there's a second step, which is passing from direct conversion to indirect conversion, which really means exchange. This is a very, very big step. And actually the word credit arises at this point. There is no credit here, but at this point, you must have credit. Which further emphasizes the importance of this step. By the way, that's also important for another reason, because as we all know, there was great objection on the part of the canonical and secular authorities against lending and borrowing in interest. They called it usury, as a blanket condemnation, no matter how small interest was it was usury. Only interest-free loans were approved. And uh, as a result, the this was very counterproductive, the idea of those authorities who impose that restriction was to eliminate or bring down interest rates and just the opposite happened, the interest rates got higher, why? Because there was this extra uh, cost of doing business, it was extra legal, there was no protection of contracts um, either by secular or by canonical uh, law and therefore extra-risk involved. So those who had, who were in the position to land, who were not willing to land at a lower or more reasonable interest rate, they wanted to cover their risks. So this is completely uh, counterproductive. And it didn't last, Uh, although it lasted for over a thousand years, but it didn't last Uh, because during the Reformation, a large part of the credit goes to the Reformation, Uh, the taboo was broken and interest was allowed, at least a modest interest, and and, uh, And we come to the third step, which is also a very big step. Because of that, uh, uh, because of that uh, relaxation of the uh, secular and canonical laws, forbidding interest payments, (coughs) that was relaxed. So for the first time in history, first time in history, it was possible openly to admit that interest is involved in the conception. As as you can imagine, there are lots of ways of getting around, even within the Church. They uh, introduced all kinds of dry exchanges and this and that and trying to uh, dress up uh, an exchange of income and wealth uh, as involving foreign exchange when nothing to do with foreign exchange but once there was foreign exchange involved then uh, it was a different set of rules applying and and so on. But this was all phony. For the first time when reformation broke the old rules, it was possible to state and admit openly that yes, interest payment is involved, so they could develop uh, an instrument which facilitated that exchange which was forbidden up until that point, and this is the gold bar. Gold bond appeared for the first time perfectly legal, perfectly open, perfectly honest. What is involved here is that the principal and interest was payable in gold. So you could calculate the rate of interest, you could have a market, and those who had funds to land could issue the, the, those who had the funds to land uh, bought the bond issued by those who had the need to borrow. And uh, this was a new dimension and the dam broke, so this is a very fertile field and uh, completely new way of financing production, consumption and everything else this is, it's it's impossible to exaggerate the importance of the appearance of the gold and if you think of it after all we don't have to go uh, very far back in history Um, but all the big inventions, the big investments started taking place after financing of business became possible through the agency of the gold. Um, I would like to just mention this in parentheses that uh, there were other arguments other than this usury type of arguments against gold bond trading and I just mentioned one which is typical and perhaps you might even agree with the objection which they represented. The objection was that if during that period, I call it the golden age of the gold bond when when there was peace, relatively uh, a long period of time peacefully and, and there was an international exchange, such as, for example, between the end of the Napoleonic uh, war, uh, Wars uh, and the beginning of World War One. there was a hundred years of peace. But you could also pick other uh, stretches of time when uh, the gold. So I don't want to define the golden age of gold bond, but Certainly we have, we know, we understand what we mean by that. And the objection goes like this. If we take the total outstanding values of gold bonds at any one time during that golden age of gold bonds, during that period, will find that the outstanding value is a high multiple of the gold in existence. In other words, there, there, here we have promises to pay gold and the gold doesn't exist because the promises go away uh, beyond the existing gold, the available gold for the purposes. So this is a this is a similar
0: it's like the futures market. For,
1: you know, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the, the, the naked, the naked uh, silver, silver boogeyman. Yeah. Now here's the naked gold boogeyman. Yeah. Those yeah. who sell gold bonds are f- uh, fraudulent. fraudulent. They are, they are <coughs> exactly the same <laughs> argument would go through, and indeed some people were making these arguments. And we must be prepared to offer some kind of <laughs> defense for that. Well, it's not difficult, but you can see that not all gold bonds mature at the same time. At any one time there is so many gold bonds outstanding, but the maturity dates are diverse, they are different. So the problem would be real only if all outstanding gold bonds were maturing at the same time or during the same year, which wasn't the case. So this is a problem only if the flow of gold could freeze up for whatever reason, and we can think of many. Banks don't have an interest free flow of gold and certainly the governments would like to see gold in their, under their own control rather than flowing freely uh, in, in the economy to finance uh, development and production and consumption and whatnot. So the, uh, the problem is reduced not to the quantity of gold in existence, but to the uh, freedom of gold flowing in society. Because if gold is allowed to flow as freely as possible, there is no rigid limit you can put on the amount of promises payable in gold. If if gold can flow freely now, of course, as soon as you introduce uh, limitations, and, uh, uh, then uh, then gold slows down, and then eventually the gold payment system, including the gold bond financing, could freeze up. That is possible, but as long as you can keep the gold flow free. As free as humanly possible, there is no rigid limit to put the. You can issue as many gold coins as this, but not one dollar more because there's not enough gold in existence. That's not the case. If gold can flow and go from hand to hand, then this is not a problem. But Of course it is a problem because we know that governments and banks uh, were undermining the system, in fact, openly sabotaging the system. Uh, The uh, ultimate sabotage was that of Franklin Roosevelt when he confiscated gold and marked up its value and so on. So that, of course, is throwing the monkey wrench into the works. And does a great damage. But if the system is reasonably free, there is no upper limit. You have to say, okay, that much credit can be built on a certain amount of gold and no more. That's not the case. And of course, you have to consider clearing these claims and counterclaims, gold bonds outstanding, there has to be a clearinghouse. And the clearing and exchange is done through the clearinghouse. And there are all kinds of clearing instruments and you can't just dismiss them as as fraud, fraudulent or naked uh, promise or whatever. Because this is a valid, Way of improving uh, gold bond financing, namely through uh, uh, facilitating clearing domestic and international clearing as well so i I cannot take that counter argument too seriously that uh, they they issued far more gold bonds than there was gold in existence. That's not the case. Maturity is reasonably dispersed and therefore the system can work. And improvement in clearing will certainly accomplish that. What, What criticism I have to make is uh, concerns the economists, even good ones. I mean, you just mention the name of David Ricardo. David Ricardo was uh, British economist of Portuguese origin, right? And uh, he was consider- still considered as a very great uh, economic thinker, and. Uh, is one of the, his accomplishments is what was called bullion pla- plan at the time. Now it's more likely to be called the gold bullion standard as opposed to the gold coin standard. The gold standard we are advocating here is a gold coin standard. The gold coin is, is important for several reasons in the free flow of gold coin in the system, not just as a means of payment and short-term credits, but also long-term credits. And, and uh, this uh, and, uh, when you talk about the international gold standard, then uh, this is also important because once you have gold standard in several countries this is a terrific insurance uh, because the interest rates are uh, equalized in all the countries which which adhere to the gold standard. I don't buy the uh, other thing that uh, prices will equalize. They may or they may not. But certainly interest rates will, and capital flows will see to it that there will be uh, uniform interest rates. Of course this can be sabotage too, but let's just assume that we have a reasonably free system international gold standard and that has the great advantage of a uniform Rate of interest over all the countries which adhere to it. Now, let me just add a little thought here that this is really to the advantage of every country to join, to to introduce the gold standard and join this international club of countries which adhere to. Why? Because every any country can be hit by a natural disaster. It could be a great earthquake, or a great flood, or it could be a crop failure affecting half a continent, and just think of any other possibilities. And The first thing such a disaster will do to the country, which is afflicted with it, is push up the rate of interest. But, if There are several countries, and in one, the rate of interest shoots up for whatever reasons, there will be a great flow of capital to this country. And this will bring back the rate of interest to the level. It will be a little bit higher in every country. But that's just the insurance premium you have to pay for the protection. You don't know. You could be hit next by another type of natural disaster. It won't work in case of war. You can't say, oh, I'm insured against war. Because if a shooting war gets started, the first casualty is usually the gold standard. So you have to find a political means of eliminating wars. The gold standard will not. But it will certainly ameliorate any kind of adverse effect of natural disasters. Uh, The gold standard is a great uh, agent of insurance and this can be demonstrated through historical examples. Going back to Ricardo, Ricardo made an awful mistake and this was to propose the bullion plan, he called it, but as I mentioned already, it's the gold bullion standard. What he said was that it's a waste of uh, precious metals to put gold coins into circulation. Because the role of gold is really not hand-to-hand money, which uh, you as a consumer pay over the counter to the retail outlet, Or financing uh, through gold bonds, financing uh, capital and so on. The great importance of gold, Ricardo said, was international balance of payments. If a country runs a surplus, another country runs a deficit, trade deficit, then the deficit has to be covered with gold payments so in the surplus country the quantity of gold will increase the quantity of money will increase and here it will shrink as a consequence prices will go up in this country and prices will go down in another. and that in itself will provide uh, balancing mechanism and the uh, deficits or surpluses, trade deficit, trade surplus will be eliminated. Well, there are several difficulties. One is that it's not necessarily true that uh, the prices will adjust with the flow of gold from one country to another this cannot be taken for granted. Prices could be sticky for a number of reasons and in any case the quantity theory is heavily relied on and it's a very very unreliable theory which I'm not going to enter into. And that's not even my main criticism of David Ricardo's theories. My main criticism is that Ricardo is completely oblivious of the fact that the gold coin is absolutely necessary uh, to have in order for the rate of interest uh, to adjust to the needs. It's it's, it's the mechanism which which, uh, determines the rate of interest as it should be determine for the benefit of all. And he is just removing that uh, mechanism and expects that the rate of interest will behave. Well, it will not behave. It it has all the desired properties only if the the flow of gold coins uh, will regulate it. So that is uh, a very serious criticism I have against Ricardo, And the gold bullion standard is just no substitute for the gold coin standard. In fact, it has all kinds of hidden dangers and so on. And uh, well, actually it was tried because Britain in 1925 declared uh, that it was going back to the gold standard, but it will not be the gold coins it will be the gold bullion standard. And the smallest amount of gold you could get from the Bank of England was the 400-ounce uh, bar. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't call, call it the college <laughs> 400 ounces is roughly 12 and a half kilograms, so, you know, a well,
0: small chain in your pocket.
1: <laughs> the, uh, well, of course, um, the justification was that that's peanuts when it comes to international, international trade, trade. Yeah, right. uh, because uh, it will take hundreds of such bars to Balance the payment, but I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not making an argument like that. I'm just saying that it was introduced. It was tried and found one thing. It did not work. It did not even work. Uh, live to be six years old. In 1931. The uh, British uh, gold bullion standard collapsed. The Bank of England had to uh, declare bankruptcy and of course later other countries follow, but that is uh, on the record. So this is just mentioned parenthetically because I think we want um, to center my focus is on these three steps. First, discovering portability as a property and promoting silver and gold. And then, um, when a credit is introduced, here, no okay, credit. Credit is introduced at this level, that means you are passing in direct to indirectly, which is exchanging income and wealth, then that's another big step forward. But there was still resistance, and that had to be addressed, and when these usury laws were uh, overruled, then move bond trading became possible, and the world development at an incredible scale started. And we are all the beneficiaries, we are all better off for it, it's not just international, intercontinental shipping and intercontinental flying or intercontinental or transcontinental railroads, all very very uh, capital intensive enterprises which without gold bonds would have never ever happened but also therapeutic uh, advances, all the research in medicine, surgery, I I don't want to make an effort to tell you how important it is and without gold bonds we would have only a fraction of that Uh, improvement and advance. World 1 financing is at the very foundation of our relative uh, comfort and welfare and health and all that. I mean, the kings and and, uh, uh, kings did not have the comfort, and so on, what we are having. I think of air conditioning or heating systems or just anything. I mean, kings lived very well, much better than all the others, but in comparison with our standard of living, kings were left behind because we thank to go on financing are so much ahead of the, of the uh, uh, all the amenities which uh, the richest people and kings could uh, could enjoy. So that is the great thing about gold bonds, that it threw uh, the uh, avenue open to all kinds of improvements which were not possible before, simply because capital could not be accumulated without the instrument of the gold bond. And we have convincing uh, evidence that if you have several decades of uh, gold bond financing then the results just come in and you have to sit back and enjoy your life. And the... So that is a fact very hard to argue with success and, but we have to recognize that it's really the gold bond which is behind the, the, the amount of credit which opened up and which wouldn't have opened up without gold bonds is just incredible and not because there was a lot of gold because there wasn't gold is still scarce was still scarce and you have to economise with it. But the fact that the credit was made available changed the whole world. And and gold is a great facilitator of credit. Take it away and credit collapses or shows all kinds of sicknesses and so on. there is no substitute for gold when it comes to credit financing and and uh, we have to think of stability and so on I mean sure the Federal Reserve puts credit <laughs> at the disposal of a lot of people mainly friends of the, uh, the system but the stability is very, very questionable. And we'll, we haven't seen the end of it, but it's coming. But go, with the gold standard, there is no danger. If nobody is allowed to sabotage the gold standard. Then it is a very stable system which can just continue without any adverse effects. So. I think so much for the gold bond. Now, where does this leave silver? We hardly ever hear about silver bonds, do we? I'm not saying they don't exist, they do. But they are not as uh, liquid or as uh, popular and so on, and they don't serve the purpose. So. Silver has a different role to play, and I will say a few words about that and uh, discuss bimetallism. Bimetallism is the name for a monetary system which recognizes both monetary (laughs) metals, gold and silver, with an added proviso. That there should be a fixed exchange rate. Now, the motivation for that, and that's provided by the government, it's enacted, uh, it's a law of the land, and uh, whatever the rate is, but for a long time it was 15%. Uh, 15 ounces of silver are exchangeable for 15, uh, for one ounce of gold. And, This law was an enormous, the result of an enormous uh, mistake, because it it assumed that such a fixed exchange rate can be enforced, and the government and the banks and so on can join forces to make sure that this will be operation. But that's not what happened. What happened was that the exchange rate between gold and silver fluctuated. And if it deviated uh, by a substantial amount, say, went from 15 to 15 and a half, for example, uh, which meant that uh, gold was valued higher relatively than silver, because up to now it was you had to give only fifteen ounces of silver for one ounce of gold, and now you had to give it a half ounce. So silver lost value. But it could happen in the other direction as well. It could be that the uh, uh, bimetallic market ratio Falls from 15 to 14 and a half, which means that silver became relatively more valuable than gold. And these things do happen. They follow the vagaries veg- of uh, discoveries of silver and gold mine, but could have a lot of other, the foreign trade, for example. China has been on um, silver standards since time immemorial as you know Chinese civilization is much older than our own. And uh, India had been a great uh, sink for silver for uh, ever since uh, the Romans opened their trade routes to India and so on and so forth. So the point is that for whatever reason the bimetallic market ratio will deviate from a uh, statutory ratio de- declared by the government. The government pretends to be omnipotent when they try to impose uh, a ratio because no sooner than it is declared the market is going to change it. And uh, for that reason uh, in practice there is no bimetallism. it's only theory. Because in practice what happens that if the market increases the valuation of gold then gold is going to disappear from circulation according to Gresham's law. People will hoard gold and pay, make payments with silver coin. But it could work in the opposite way. If the market increases its valuation of silver, then uh, silver coins will disappear and gold will be the common money. And this is very wasteful, this is one thing, and the other thing is that uh, that um, it's not a stable system which uh, has a drain out of circulation, back to circulation. So this was just an ill-conceived idea to introduce bimetallism and uh, it took such a long time for governments to admit their mistake. They started fiddling in the United States, I think they started out with 15 and a half and then uh, uh, that was overvaluing, I think, uh, gold so gold disappeared on the silver state and then the market ratio changed again so uh, I haven't checked before my talk on the actual historical steps but there were uh, adjustments made in uh, by by uh, Congress uh, changing the bimetal ratio from uh, uh, from 15 and a half to, I forget, 16, or back to 15, uh, and uh, came up with new coins, they had to uh, melt down the old coins, bring out new coins, and so on. not a good system, so uh, what is the solution, is the solution what actually happened, namely the governments declared gold monometallism, they demonetized, or at least they said they demonetized silver and replaced it with old gold coins. that's what happened. This is how they solved the problem. It It wasn't an easy transition, there was a lot of Fight um, political fight also in the United States. You might recall the name of uh, William Brian Jennings. I'm not going to go into that. The fact is that, uh, and besides the was on constitution, because the U.S. Constitution opens the mint to both gold and silver. That's true. But the dollar is defined in terms of silver in the Constitution. The, do, the, the Constitution uh, does not set up bimetallism. Bimetallism was set up by subsequent coinage acts by Congress, and this was a mistake. They, a proper procedure was if they really wanted to get rid of silver, they should have changed the Constitution. Congress did not have the right to demonetize silver because that is carved into the U.S. Constitution. That's pieces of aid which coin inherited from the Spanish became the standard silver dollar, (coughs) exactly the same specification, and and, uh, in order to change that, in order to demonetize it, the Constitution has to be changed. This was never done, never even mentioned that this could be done. They just simply thought that the Congress has the power to define or coin Uh, provided uh, coin of the realm and so on, so they just assumed that they had the power. They did not. Anyhow, as a result, the U.S. became uh, a gold monometallic country, and this was a movement, because other important countries, Germany at the time, defeating France in the Franco-Prussian War, they demonetized silver, and they use the that means dumping all the silver on the world market, using the proceeds to buy gold and then have a uniform uh, gold coinage, all kinds of trampling on the rights of individuals and uh, uh, companies and countries and so on. and it created a lot of problems in the world so um, the solution which governments chose was not the right one. What would have been the right solution? Um, I I just give my uh, penny worth of wisdom. I think uh, a bimetallic system could work on the basis of a variable uh, ratio. it's a mistake to fix that and put it in the law. What you could do is you could have two uh, coinage systems working side by side. Gold, coinage, silver coinage. So for example the dollar refers to silver coins only and when you want to refer to gold coins you use another word and uh, such a word does exist it's the uh, eagle an eagle coin is a 10 dollar coin but remember we no longer have a fixed uh, bimetallic ratio so you don't put uh, an eagle equal to 10 dollars because this is not fixed Ok, so let, let these thing, things flow. And, and you might argue this is not a good system because when uh, the, there are two sets of currencies cannot possibly work. Well, our experience with the euro doesn't show that. In, in, in Switzerland, euro currency circulates pretty well uh, along with the Swiss uh, francs And Britain, of course, hasn't accepted the Euro and the Pound. And and a lot of businesses give you two quotations for prices and so on. And any number of examples. So, this is not an unsurmountable problem. The two sets of coinage circulate side by side. I think that is the solution. Or if you want to go to monometallism, then you have a problem. You could treat the, uh, say, the silver coins as if it was a foreign exchange and, and, and uh, have uh, bureaus making the conversion and so on. So there are various other solutions, but the rigid uh, bimetallic ratio is not the answer so uh, i could go on but i think i'd better give you a chance um, a lot of people indicated to me that they would like to ask questions about bi so let's open the uh, floor to questions and comments
0: please Anybody, any interest in the interest of bi yes just one question about that you said that, that uh, in the case of war uh, the Gauss- possible in two cases two countries at war with each other, one maintaining the gold standard, one letting it go, the one who let it go would actually lose. So what kind goes, of war? He's saying that if you had two countries and to and war, a war and, and and one it was on the gold standard and one let it go, would the one that kept the gold standard have any advantage?
1: Um, <laughs> very good question. I uh, it occurred to me, too, to ask this question. I'm inclined to say that the country on staying on the gold standard does have the advantage. And, uh, and a historical example is the United States in actually both world wars. World War I, it was more clear-cut because uh, gold coins did stay in domestic circulation. And the United States, uh, it was due to the United States joining the Allied Powers. The, uh, the, the Allied Powers were incredibly close to a defeat. And uh, this is a fascinating story and it's all Documented in, in the non-conformist literature because the conformist literature, of course, uh, has a standard version. Which, uh, but anyhow, I think uh, the United States uh, had a great advantage that it could go through the war with the gold standard pretty well intact. There were compromises here and there, but. Okay, now World War II is not as clear-cut because domestic gold coin circulation was not allowed in 1933. Um, Roosevelt confiscated the gold coins, and uh, it, uh, however, internationally, internationally the United States dollar was convertible into gold, which which meant That I'm not talking about enemy countries, but neutral countries or allied countries could get gold for their paper uh, dollars. And that worked very well. And the United States came out as the greatest creditor nation out of World War II, with its industry pretty well intact, and uh, agriculture, being able to provide food for the rest of the world and so on. Now, even if the gold standard is not maintained, but the country is willing to put its gold to use, this country will have an advantage and that I can tell you I say that on the authority of Alan Greenspan, because he did go on record to say that the United States should not get rid of its gold uh, reserve, and he mentioned one specific example that Germany, even when they were very close to their defeat, they could still buy energy, they were short of fuel, uh, uh, airplane fuel and all kinds of other fuels which you need in war, and for gold they could get it. They could get it. Uh, Breaking blockades and so on, they could get it. Just pay gold, you get it. So, the lesson is that (coughs) retaining some role for gold, even in a war situation, is an advantage to a country which can do. So, now, but that is really a very complicated question because it's written with all kinds of complexities and so on, and uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, credit breaks down. I mean, I'm very satisfied
0: that. Uh, very satisfied. Okay. Nathan? Uh, Before I was just going to say that in terms of resolving the situation of the fixed exchange, rate, it would probably really be uh, an advantage to have gold, gold and silver coins that simply show the weight of what the gold and silver coins and bank accounts that just show ounces of silver and gold. Not fixing the value, but uh, fixing just the weight. So you have a silver coin, a gold coin, and have them exist side by side with the value floating according to weight. And purity. And well, purity. purity. A fixed purity
1: in the way. In what ways is this different from what I suggested? Uh, something about a coin which had a dollar,
2: $10, or whatever, marked on what you suggested?
0: I think that's what he meant when he talked about them floating. It was it was by weight.
2: Yeah, the was, we yeah. The yeah but it would it just be weight. Grams. It's just weight. Point? Yeah, I think yeah, that The yeah. gold coin would not have uh, any dollar value. It would just have a weight. And at that point, only in the instant that. The government went to apply a five metallic system with a floating exchange rate between the two metals. Would there be? Could you say that it was a ten dollar gold eagle coin, but after that, it would be the market would determine the gold rate, but the silver yeah. would I think that's what I think. Yeah, you yeah, you wouldn't put, put that yeah. on if you tried to bring it back, I guess. No. Did, did uh, retaining in uh, gold account, change the dirt in grams of gold, you can write checks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. and uh, everything is in ground coal. Okay.
1: And also uh, Mexico has a silver coin, which is a one house. Uh, yeah.
3: And it's made of tender. In-
1: Retaining silver on a floating basis has one great advantage, because if you don't give some monetary rule to silver, you have to face a huge force of agitation. That, you know, silver has to be brought in, there is the silver mining interest, the western states in the United States which have uh, silver. And, and, and this you could just cut out by saying, yes, silver is money too, but the exchange rate is not fixed. So they have to fend, fend yeah, so. this. They just have to compete. The silver competes with gold, and let the stronger currency win. It will not wipe out the other, I don't think gold could wipe out silver or vice versa, but it could be that for certain purposes one currency is better than the other, and then, you know, for example, I think wages, it is quite possible, wages will be paid in silver coins, but import-export business will be based on gold coins. Who knows, but certainly uh, I think it seems to me the best approach is to retain both monetary metals and let the market sort out which is the best currency for what purpose. Nathan?
2: Is it true to say that if, if we were able to bring back, open them into gold is it true to say that opening it to silver is an even stronger defense of individual freedom because the government would have to, if it ever wanted to, seize back the, the power of controlling the money supply again, it would have to, it would have to uh, get control of both monetary metals? Does, does having both of them make our, our individual freedom, our economic freedom, uh, more strongly protected?
1: Uh, would you make your question more concise uh, the Sorry, short uh, is
2: it, it uh, if we were on just a pure gold standard it would be good does having silver as you said uh, also as a monetary metal does that make the uh, our economic freedom even stronger? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Does, does it put it on an even stronger footing? I, yeah, I wish I could figure out a better way. I, I
1: think, I think uh, you have the most complete monetary freedom. You can take either gold or silver to the mint and convert it into the coin of the realm, And let the market worry about the exchange rate. But if you have silver, you can convert it. If you have gold, you can convert it. But you might say, it's not in my interest to convert gold, I keep gold for other purposes, such as export or what have you. That's fine too. But if, if you say, no, 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 we are dogmatic about it, only gold is a monetary method. We open the mint to gold, but not to silver. This is already a kind of infringement of your freedom as an individual. Or vice versa, and it's very sus- suspect that the government is behind. Yes, please.
3: Professor Sorte, can I ask a question? Isn't this a fairy tale to think about gold standard when, when there's no audited uh, historic or any any kind of documentation where the gold reserve of the United States or any any country's gold reserve is not audited professionally? Maybe it has been leased out. The whole, the whole. All uh, reserves now is in, in the hands of private private individuals, and now we're thinking about a system which is capable of fighting lots of things and, and resolve lesser volatility and, and less uh, lesser problems in the economic economic circumstances. But new situation is that there no there's no gold reserves left. Each individual country, because it has been leased out, it has been sold out. Like they're doing it on a year-to-year mm-hmm. basis, and, and it's a greater effort for the for the whole for the whole world to put it together again under a system like that. Maybe individual individual needs or individual uh, decision making or decision find decisions basically will result that there's no gold reserves to, to mm-hmm. be acted on as a, mm-hmm. as a as a as a whole
1: well i 'm aware of these rumors, but they are just rumors it, uh, the fact that there was no auditing uh, for so many years is not a proof that the gold
3: what reserve... the auditing has been has been granted to those that are not fully accountable yeah. in our sense uh,
1: well I just want to reserve my judgment on that i uh, it's uh, you can't make a case that this is the way it is because they're... It's just fantasy. it's just an However, I have an answer to your question. My answer to your question is that it doesn't matter. Because even if we assume that the United States government controls zero gold, it is not going to defeat the plan of going back to gold. I tell you why. And that's why I'm using, consciously using the expression open the mint to gold, or open the mint to silver, or open the mint to both. Because it's the people, and not the government reserve of gold, which will put these coins into circulation. The government plays one role only, to certify the uh, the quantity and quality of the uh, metal in the coin, but the, the government doesn't have to have a gold reserve. Yeah, just one more point:
3: what if the government has already cheated the people of its own people by selling its gold out, and there is no no easy way or possibility to go invest the gold standard? Let me put it this way. Then the-
1: uh, so how does the government cheat the people? It's, it's solid. If it doesn't matter. Uh, the
2: private individuals' gold is real. We can bring our gold into the mint and have it converted into coins uh, that begin to circulate. It doesn't matter if the government has already lied about what's in Fort Knox or or all the other there is a simple answer because it really doesn't matter because if these would be gold and silver coinsage, even that so everything is so, a roche cheaper hammers. So it go back,
3: makes
1: it coins and dies rich as before. it's better, the like old, uh,
2: physical gold <laughs> and
3: silver comes from. <laughs> yeah, but well, would these guys give it back, to you the, we, it it, and open and all these guys that give it if back? If it's the only
2: single. legal tender, they use mm-hmm. what is legal tender. They use mm-hmm. paper money now, they use it 100 years ago, and the are already existence, they use gold and silver. If gold and silver comes back, they use it again. So it will come out of hiding, and mm-hmm. the as the professors so nice experiment in
1: the field, and still no well, can think of it this way the government provides roads and highways for the benefit of the people and it's the same thing to provide a mint because the government doesn't have to own the land on which the highway is built communities could come to the government and say here is a stretch of land and we want a highway through, will you please provide it?" And the government should comply and provide the highway and maintain it and use tax revenues to defray the cost of maintaining it. Same way, the government does not use its own gold reserves to put in circulation. The government opens them into gold so people can come forward, take their bullion and uh, it will be exchanged one to one, the same value of gold. And that's the proper function of the government. Uh, When there is a suggestion the government starts accumulating gold or silver or what have you, that stinks. There's no need for that. The government is better off just the same if people own and control the gold. It doesn't have to be in government walls. And and that's also very important that, the, uh, that gold is the bank reserve. That's important. And people control the level of bank reserves because if they are not convinced that the banks are pursuing proper credit policies, then they can just present banknotes or bank deposits and withdraw gold, which will bring down the level of bank reserves and the bank will be forced, that's the only language the banks understand, <laughs> when the uh, gold reserve shrinks, they have to uh, have to call the loans back and, and uh, cut the amount of outstanding credit. If I may rephrase the gentleman's question, I think what he meant also was that if there is absolutely no gold in a certain area,
0: call that like a country because it was sold to the ECB or the IMF, And in this area, there is no goal to have.
1: How would you introduce a gold standard? And I think that was probably also the question. I think also the answer to that is, you know, if you don't have it, you have to earn it um, through attracting it. That's right. And that's where the gold bond comes in, that's where productivity comes in, that's where the bills of exchange come in, everything. This is an extremely good point. It's not a question how much gold you have, it's a question how much gold you can attract. That's a big difference. And the important thing is that you have to have a behavior, domestic and international, which will convince everybody that you are trustworthy and you can attract gold. And that is the key thing and not just how much gold you can show in the reserve. That's a, a minor point. Of course, you, if you have outstanding gold bonds which mature, you have to have gold in the reserve because as these bonds mature, you want to uh, show that you can pay it back. Uh, but uh, The main question is how much gold or silver you can attract. And uh, I'm very sorry to say the United States has run its credibility way, way down because it cannot attract gold anymore. In fact, if any gold flows to the United States, they are just losing it uh As quickly as they get it, uh, because of the uh, balance of payment of the trade deficit, it 's a disaster uh, of first magnitude from the greatest creditor nation of the world in a few years' time, the United States sank to the greatest debtor and it, it, it's uh, the level of debt in the United States is still increasing by leaps and bounds. Very, very tragic situation.
0: We're going to sell it. We're going to short. We're going to make money by shorting our debt. <laughs> very good.
1: It's a very tragic situation, made even more tragic by the fact of the anti-gold psychosis which exists in the United States in particular. Something which doesn't exist in India, doesn't exist in China, doesn't exist in the Islamic world. It does exist thanks to the betrayal of the economist profession of their sacred duty to search for and disseminate the truth. They have done the opposite. They have contributed a great deal to the psychosis. So, as a consequence, the United States population, on the average, has very little gold. Well, we know the gold bugs have it. There's no question about that. But I'm asking you, what percentage of the total population of the United States would qualify as a gold bug? What percentage?
2: One in, one in
1: 10,000, maybe, or one in 100,000, people. Oh, there you are. So, a uh, fraction of 1%. No area of the charge
0: of the net. <laughs> this is tragic. <laughs> because there, no, no. Does a gold card qualify? A gold? A for a gold card, credit card. Oh, now oh. oh, if you... Yeah, that's just kidding work. Work. absolutely, we're there. Yeah. Platinum card, too. I'd throw that in, too. You see One, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always a little right. Yeah. It. There we go. Sorry, we're in.
3: Why is that, that the everyday everyday people consciousness doesn't care about like Golden Brown is selling the reserves of, of Bank of England the cheapest the cheapest possible rates in the, in the last I don't know how many 30 years or something yeah. how how come that the people in, in Great Britain care care nothing nothing about the fact that actually these guys are electing the the, the person as prime minister how come this happened to and then we feel as tragic and those guys don't feel nothing about it, basically.
2: I can explain that from an American point of view.
0: That I can explain from an American point of view. Basically we have an extraordinarily powerful In America, if you're concerned about the next winner on American Idol, be their guest. If you're concerned about serious monetary reform, you get no play, you get no attention, and you're marginalized. It's like Ron Paul. The, the, what has happened to America is tragic. But it's understandable. But, but do you think don't you think that they're cheating? Actually, they're cheating the polls. Uh, no doubt about it. There's I no mean, doubt about it. Go to the internet and check
3: how much yeah. money he, he, yeah. he, he, he checked. I checked I checked his web page and day just to see how much money he made on the internet on a day to day basis. And no polls, no no fraction, no no nothing basically on the everyday
0: election game. Oh, of course not. The marginalization is severe. If there's going to be a, a fundamental economic reform. And there may be. It's going to come after a collapse. It's not going to come from any understanding that A is better than B or better
3: than you know, C. But the problem is that mm. in, in in France, if there's an, if there's a new new law to be to be inserted or to be to be out, and it's against, you know, one tenth of one, one, th- one in a thousand people will be will be affected mm-hmm. negatively. Paris burned down the next day. Basically, in the United States, you can elect people. Nobody's housewife like Hillary, at you know, the name of the person. You know, so,
1: is, is there a role for the other precious metals to play in this gold standard, gold sword, such as platinum, for example? Platinum. Well, platinum is not a monetary metal, and for this is not an arbitrary judgment. The, The criterion which a monetary metal has to meet is the stock to flows ratio. The stock of uh, above the ground gold is a large multiple of the annual flow of new gold from the mine. It has been estimated at 50. Now you have to remember the other metals, the base metals, have a stock to flow ratio a small fraction. It could be, for example, one third for, for uh, copper and similar fractions for others. And, and uh, this is important because if what this suggests is that gold is is not scarce, at least not in uh, relative terms. Maybe scarce in absolute terms, but what matters here is relative terms, which is relative to annual flows. It's not scarce. A lot of gold exists. If you have the impression that the amount of gold is small, that's an optical illusion. It means that gold is going into hiding. And people act in this way because they anticipate great monetary disturbances and they use uh, gold as a prophylactic kind of defense against Now, platinum, I don't have the figure what the... the stock-to-floor ratio for platinum is, but I would venture to say that it's closer to the base metals. Now, it, it doesn't take uh, value away from platinum, it just shows that platinum is not suitable for the purposes of money. Now, you can make sovereign, uh, sovereign uh, what the word, souvenir, souvenir coins out of platinum, as a lot of uh, governments do. But that doesn't make them, make uh, make platinum monetary metal. That may in a thousand years from now because we solidify the platinum. <laughs> now that's an interesting question. Is it conceivable that there is a tendency uh, that people are hoarding platinum and building up, pu- and ultimately they will have a stock to flow ratio which is competitive to that of Gold or silver. I would say this is uh, the odds are very, very poor that this would ever happen, because because this uh, there is a kind of uh, self. Uh, what what is the word? Uh, uh, self fulfilling thing. You, you see. A lot of people say, well, if, if uh, the stock-to-flow ratio of gold is very high, that is going to undermine its value, because the usual thinking and usual argument is, the more you have, the less value it represents. But the monetary metals are an exception to that. Rule. It doesn't work that way. So, in other words, there is an enormous confidence in gold as a store of value precisely because this high stock to flows ratio because it shows that our ancestors and contemporaries have trusted the value of gold and uh, the permanence of the value and they weren't disappointed so if I have to choose, I'm going to choose gold because it has this superb uh, ratio, and platinum is doesn't demonstrate the same, uh, you know, and therefore I'm not going to choose platinum. This is how. No, I'm I'm, I'm not talking about small coin collectors or, or but. Those who control huge amount of monetary wealth and they have to make a decision. Should I invest in gold or should I invest in platinum will say platinum is not a good choice because it has an inferior stock to flow ratio. Is,
0: is silver, but it's superior stock to gold? Or, Disappe- how about uh, silver stock floor ratio? Is it is it relative to gold? Th-
1: this, is everybody, this is a good question, because nobody knows. You see, in many ways silver predated gold. Because, uh, well, we discussed this, that gold is... Uh, marketability in the large, silver marketability in the small. So silver has always been more dispersed over society. Small hordes of silver existed in every pocket. But gold was really money for kings and princes. And, and, and ransoms, ransoms were paid in gold, not in silver. <laughs> the <laughs> Prince ransom. So, as a consequence of the much wider dispers, and and we know about the sack of Susa in Persia by Alexander the Great. So, great event dispersing gold in that area by the uh, by the. Military forces, or something. We know about the sack of uh, uh, Aztec and, uh, and the Inca Empire. Sack of, uh, sack of. Uh, I Mami- uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, th- th- there was another great dispersion of gold treasure when the Spaniards. Uh, grabbed the Inca gold and the Aztec gold and took it back to Spain and then it just uh, in, in Europe. Now we know about these events. Silver has always been dispersed but gold had to get dispersed through such military acts. And as a consequence the statistics on the silver concentration is not reliable. Whereas uh, we can reconstruct pretty well what happened to gold. And the gold mines always kept a a, a more reliable record of their production than the silver mines So it's anybody's guess what the ratio is. I I am inclined to say that uh, if it's not as high as gold, but it's surprisingly high, especially when you start talking about people like Ted Butler and his uh, naked uh, silver boogie.
0: <laughs> don't have he it Please
3: <laughs> <laughs> don't have here. <laughs>
1: I think silver is a convincing case. It's a monetary metal, it has a satisfactory. Ratio, but we don't know what it is. You you can use various methods to estimate it or reconstruct history, but the fact is we don't.